Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name's Mitch Light. I guess I'm supposed to say my name since Braden just pointed at me, and I am Braden's good. Am I a good friend? Are we good friends? I would call you a great friend and a okay. mentor, even. Okay. I am Braden's mentee. Is that the word? I'm Braden's <laughs> friend from and former colleague at Athlon Sports, and we've done lots of podcasts together. I currently work at The Athletic. I'm a college football editor, and you can reach me on Twitter at Mitch Light. Uh, would you like to tell everybody where they can hear you doing your own oh. podcast work now? Why don't you do some shameless self-promotion here, Mitch? Thank you. Thank you, Braden. I am the co-host of Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast that can be found at The Athletic. Um, it's part of the Andy Staples Show feed, if you're looking for it, wherever you get podcasts. And Ari Wasserman, our national recruiting writer, and I, we just talk once a week, every Thursday morning, we talk recruiting, a lot of big picture stuff. Sure, we hit on the, the big commitments of the day, but a lot of trends, a lot of theory, a lot of geography, actually, in, in recruiting. Um, so have, we started, I think, at the end of August, and we've had a great time, and the uh, show seems to be doing pretty well, so we're going to keep doing it. There you have it. Um, of course, um, Mitch was my boss for a while at Athlon Sports, managing editor at Athlon Sports, now with The Athletic. So we're going we're gonna to have a really sort of interesting show today. It, it will certainly be football. We, we didn't do a ton of football talk last week on the show as we, we dived super deep into name, image, and likeness. But today I want to sort of have um, sort of a deeper conversation because I was on a Big Ten podcast recently with some friends of mine that that, that are big time Big Ten fans. And there's a lot of sort of external narratives about the sec and you know certainly lots of complaints from other people other fans other networks even about espn and their relationship with the sec so we thought we would do a couple of different things on the show today which is to arm arm sec fans with some information some data to maybe push back on some of the narratives but also have a really hopefully thoughtful conversation where we reflect on some of the things that maybe we need to be doing better as SEC media or SEC fans or, or whatever. So I want it to be sort of a two-way street here on this conversation. We're going to talk about the SEC SEC chant. We're going to talk about SEC bias. We're going to talk about mainstream media and how it affects your coverage of your favorite team. So it's going to pull back the curtain a little bit on, on how college football and the SEC and the business of it all is covered. And hopefully you guys will leave the conversation smarter and better off and more equipped to handle maybe some Twitter debates or some debates at the bar about why that's, you know, Ole Miss being number one in the, in the in the playoff rankings doesn't actually benefit ESPN in any financial way whatsoever. So um, I know that's a lot of weird, heady stuff, Mitch, but I'm looking forward to a conversation with you today on the show. Yeah, I have no idea what you just said right there, but no, yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, no, this stuff's interesting. I mean, anytime we kind of talk media, um, media stuff, it's fun. And I think there's a lot of you know, a lot of common sense to how the media works. And there's a lot of uh, misinformation, I don't, you know, misinformation out there about how the media works. So, uh, yep. you know, yep. l- let's dive in. So uh, before we do also coming up a little bit later on in the show, you will get a Vanderbilt State of the Union from some guy named Mitch Light. So you'll get that a little bit later on in the show as we continue our State of the Union tour through the SEC. Aaron off today. She's got some family stuff she's working through and dealing with. So thinking about her at the Aaron Dugan, of course. Uh, if you want to get involved, she does such great work putting the show up on YouTube. So make sure you check out the YouTube page. And of course, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers is over on West End. It is the next evolution of the sports bar from Four Top Hospitality here in Nashville. They have a phenomenal new game room. They got Papa Shot, Ski Ball, Shuffleboard, Air Hockey, all kinds of cool stuff to go along with their great food and great drink specials and always free parking. They've got a 
couple of other restaurants down in Alabama and Mississippi. So if you're looking for other four top hospitality spots to go eat and watch games, make sure you check out the website there for top hospitality. Mitch, your favorite sports bar while watching tournament games game at a bar. Does darts count? Yeah, of course. Love darts. Back old school. Nashville residents can appreciate this. Oh, I know exactly where you're going with this. <laughs> back back in my day, Braden, after college. This was a very uh, smoky place. No, uh, no, no, no. I no, I I am not talking about that place. Um, what's the name of it? On, no, on... Well, no free ads. Go to Jasper's. Okay, no free ads. I'm not talking about that place. Yeah. Uh, back after when I moved back to Nashville in the late 90s after college, when Second Avenue was still a place that was pretty barren, but had a few cool spots. There was an Irish pub down in Second Avenue where we uh, would go have some uh, frosty cold beverages and throw darts all the time and have a great time. We'd go there a lot. Now I wouldn't go near Second Avenue uh, <laughs> on a Friday night. And, 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 and which, what's ironic is that it is it's like more clean now. <laughs> Like it's a cleaner, nicer avenue. Well, th th this was in the different. sweet spot between, like, when, when I was in college in the early nineties. Literally, no one went downtown. There's nothing to do, and it was barren. Then it started to become a place to go, and it was yeah. not very crowded. It was relatively clean. So yeah, there, there, it was a good time to go downtown. There are two really uh, awesome, authentic, you know, the real cork dartboards at Jasper, so you can go there. The place I'm referring to is, of course, a very, very smoky shotgun bar in Hillsborough yes. Village. For those that know what I'm talking about, well, you know what I'm talking about. So been there many um, times, and 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 like the neighbor place burnt to the ground. It's very, it's, it, there's a lot of controversy going on with those bars. So go to Jasper's where there's no controversy, but lots of great games. Uh, again, ski ball, air hockey, and uh, Papa Shot. Come on, during the tournament. Before we get into this very complicated media conversation, I am curious about the tournament because I know you're a huge college hoops guy, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I thought I'd just spring it on you. Okay. Which is, which is, we attach so much value to postseason, um, you know, college football playoff success or failure to determining how good teams are. We've we've fought the bowl thing for for years and years and years, and my stance will never change that. And I think players sitting out and. <laughs> coaches changing you know brian kelly not even coaching his team in a bowl game where it could have gone to a playoff I, I think we're seeing the the forces in college football tell us that bowl games and outcomes don't matter fans it's like the only thing they see i, I don't think that's the same for college basketball the sec absolutely completely wet the bed over the weekend it was complete garbage you know arkansas is the only team still alive very disappointing for basically everybody kentucky tennessee auburn namely but also Alabama and LSU. Is there something too that basketball in a one game situation is far more fluky? Like if you just have a bad shooting night, that sure. doesn't make you the worst team. Whereas football is a little bit more that one sixty minute sample size is more accurate. Does that question make sense? Yeah, but I, I don't think it's fair to compare bowls in the NCAA tournament because uh, like it or not in the current landscape of college football, many of the bowl games really don't matter. Even when you win, you know, it's fun. It's good for the team. It's good for the coach, coaching staff, and all that. You know, they get they get a bonus probably. But when when college college basketball, the, the entire year, the entire sport is geared towards success in the postseason. So that being said, and I'm not here to defend the SEC. Like I don't think you can say the SEC sucks because it went one and what one teammate sweet sweet sixteen. It means that you had a lot of SEC teams not play well at the right time. You can't sit here and watch Tennessee basketball the last six weeks and say they they weren't a good team. They had a bad game. They they made did they, they panic? Did they, they choke? Missed they, open, missed, they missed open shots. 
And then once they started missing open shots, they got they did get a little tight and and, and didn't yeah. play well down the stretch. Like it's such a turn for like I had some I'm on a text thread with some friends about whatever and they're and they don't really follow college college football excuse me college basketball that closely and just raving about Miami's toughness and what a great team and I said and I had to look this up I, I knew I said Miami lost by 33 points to <laughs> Alabama in November they lost to Dayton by 10 points and these were Vanderbilt friends of mine. And Vanderbilt had literally just beaten Dayton an hour earlier. I said, it's it's just, it's playing well at the right time. So right. give Jim Laranaga credit, give Miami credit. But to answer your question, big picture, the SEC deserves to be slammed today because they didn't well, do well in the tournament. And Bruce Pearl, don't insult our intelligence by saying, oh, the SEC just beat itself up this year. I mean, give me a break. Every conference well, by definition. And I wasn't trying to. So I didn't mean yeah. to to apply the bowl game conversation to the to the tournament. That's not what I meant to do. I meant college yeah. football playoff. Like we we say, okay, Georgia, Alabama, they play in the national championship game. They're clearly the best two teams, right? Like that's what we say about fo- college. So your football. question is, basketball is a flukier sport. Yes, it's, that, it's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is it like okay? Absolute, if you absolutely was, rip on the SEC right now, the, the SEC yeah. pissed down its leg, and they deserve to be ripped on. But they were largely considered the best conference, along with the Big Twelve, for most of the regular season. Give whichever one you want. I'm I'm cool with saying they're second. That's fine. To say that they had a terrible weekend is 100 percent true. But to say that that is now like one game is going to overrun 30 games doesn't seem very rational to me. Right. And I'm just kind of thinking this through in college. If you had a a true tournament in college football, if you went two versus seven, I think in football, they win 90% of the time because it's harder to upset in football and just in in a playoff format in basketball, it might be 70% of the time. Like, I just think it's easier to pull off one game upset in basketball because of shooting. It's like, it's the quality of your shot. Uh, this is I always. This is one of my favorite old, old Kevin Stallings statements. Basketball always comes down to the quality of your shot versus the quality of your opponent's shot. If you get better shots, you're usually yeah. going to win. But you got to hit those shots. And some in 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 by nature of it, a wide open three, the best shooters in the world in competition, only score make forty five percent of them. So it's fluky. I, I guess this is even a, a maybe even a better way that I should have said this. If if a if two teams in a football tournament played seven times, the outcome is probably the same as if they played one time, most of the time. Whereas there's a reason why basketball, baseball, and hockey, you play series is, is, is because there's, it, it evens out the sort of the anomalies that happen within basketball and hockey and baseball that don't happen in football, where when Georgia and Michigan line up and play, Georgia's going to win that game probably six out of seven times. Sure. Just the way, just the way they did the first time. Okay, I just wanted to, yeah, yeah. I, w- I wanted to point that out because they deserve to be ripped on. They had a garbage first weekend. It doesn't change how good the conference was in the regular season, in my opinion. Whereas with football, you can make that argument to some degree. You know, if Alabama had lost to Cincinnati and Georgia had lost to Michigan, I think we would say, well, maybe the top of the SEC just wasn't that good. And I think yeah. that I think that's a, a more fair to do in football if that if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. W- w- one more point on that, and I know we need to move on is. That in college basketball, there's also enough of a sample size non-conference play to judge conferences, where in football, there's really not. And the, the example I always go is like the SEC got so propped up three years ago when Bo Nix threw a bad pass into like triple right. coverage and it was caught and Auburn beat, came back to beat Oregon. So that Pac-12 sucked. SEC was awesome because of that one play. Where right. college basketball, there's 10 to 12 non-conference games. Which leads us perfectly into the beginning of this conversation that's going to be about media narrative, bias, sort of, you know, regionality, um, all, all different things that go into how we talk about our, our our favorite sport in college football, and in particular, the SEC. Now, I, I, 
I've been thinking about this. When, when I first started at Athlon back in 07, you were working there. And the SEC, SEC chant, right? Like SEC, SEC, where like Kentucky fan was rooting for Alabama fan in like the 09 championship game, uh, you know, against Texas or whatever. And when Alabama wins, they chant SEC, SEC. You know, Auburn beats Oregon in the national title game and people are SEC, even South Carolina fans. I'm curious about this. I've, I haven't thought about it in a while because I've always hated it, never understood it. It's rooting against your own best interest. Certainly there's a regionality and a Southern pride there. Do you think it's diminished? Do you think that the SEC fans have actually kind of come around on this? Like SEC people are still super obnoxious. Let's be honest about us. But I, I don't hear it as much. I don't hear the that sort of trumpeting the other team in our conference as much. Do you, what do you think? I don't know. I would never... That's a good question. I mean, it's kind of an unanswerable question. It may be because it's been going on so long. It's just, it's, it's just there. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I hear it more or less, or it makes more sense or less sense. I mean, I think it's a, a natural, I don't know, defense mechanism as a fan. Like if my team's not good enough, at least I know I'm losing to the teams that are, that are winning it all. And it's just like when you, when your team loses, early in the season in football, you probably want to see the team. Like if you're a Tennessee fan and you lose to Auburn in week three and then Auburn loses three straight, you're not feeling too good about yourself. So I think it's just the nature of being a fan is that you want the teams that your team loses to, to do well. And that goes by the same thing. It's like, you want to be part of the best conference. And um, so I, I don't, that doesn't, that never has happened in any other conference. Like Michigan doesn't lose to Ohio state and then go big. 10. Well, do, do you think all into radio think... shows and go big 10, big 10, I, it used to happen a it, lot. It has, in the SEC. You well, do you think it has? And obviously, I'm not in like in in you know Columbus, Ohio, or Detroit. I'm like listening to sports talk. Um, but do you think, as a reaction to the ten, the, the SEC unity, that 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 has happened? Don't don't you I, think that? No, I, I think it's the fans. Other, go ahead. I think it's a great question. I think it's the other way around. I think the complete annoyance of like Pac-12 fan, Big 12 fan, pa- Big Ten fan, ACC fan, just like. just total annoyance with the sec chant and and frankly i again if you are an auburn fan and and alabama wins another title that's going to make it harder for you to recruit so if you chant sec and root for alabama you're actually rooting against your own best interest i actually think sec fans have done it less and i think it's partly because a it doesn't make any sense number one but B, I just think it's so ridiculous and obnoxious that other people are just like, come on, guys, like, that's so stupid. Why would you root against your own team? And I actually think it's decreased. I actually think some of that has gone down as yeah, over you, the course of the last 15 years. No comment. I mean, I, I just I haven't noticed it, you know, See more, what I'm I haven't noticed it more or less. So, I mean, that's, you know, I don't hear it nearly as much. I don't get it on Twitter. Okay. I, don't, I don't get it on radio. I don't get it. I just okay. Well, yeah, you, you live in those spaces more than I do. So. And also, that's very scientific of me. So yes. I, want to, I want to point out how scientific that, that yeah. really is. So from from a let's get into how media works here. We can talk Athlon with magazines. We can talk Athletic. We can talk podcasts. We can talk ESPN because I work for ESPN Radio. And how I think one of the biggest misconceptions, and this is a really big weapon, I think, for SEC fans to use in conversations with non-SEC fans and how to defend the coverage of their teams. There are homers in every conference. There, you know, Danny Cannell, for the love of Christ, is one of the worst at it. There's th- that guy exists for every conference. That man or woman is out there banging the drum for their conference. 
you know, no matter where, what league you're talking about. And the SEC has got plenty of them. But when you talk about the big market forces at play for media companies and what's in their, their best financial interests has never been and will never be four SEC teams getting into the playoff. It's just, it's just not like the, the ESPN and we'll get to how radio works and how magazines work and podcasts and everything else, but specifically the playoff and the committee, what is best for the rights holder of that television broadcast in this case, ESPN is to have four extraordinarily large fan bases from four different regions of the country playing in those two games, three games, I should say, that is what will make them the most money. And I always find it comical that Big Ten fan or ACC fan or Pac-12 fan thinks when the Mississippi-Mississippi State thing happened, like, oh, this is just ESCCPN bias trying to, like, like prop up Mississippi schools. And I'm going, that would hurt their business. And I think this is one of the biggest points fans need to understand from outside the region, but for USEC folks, yeah. it's, a, it's a weapon that you can use to sort of knock down those attacks a little bit. I'm not a TV ratings expert, but wouldn't you say the ideal playoff for ESPN would be Alabama or Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, USC. Yeah. Maybe I, I, not USC, but I, I think well, USC because of its national its national brand. Um, I think Ohio State definitely. Okay, maybe Michigan, but I think Ohio State definitely. One of the SEC superpowers, Notre Dame, and then, again, you, I think USC. I think that would be the perfect – like if you got the, the, the executives giving some truth serum – they take that every year. I, I 100% agree. I What's interesting is I think you could do Penn State or Ohio State, probably one of those two, with Michigan right in that same group, those three, probably one of those okay, three. Just put like, put like Big Ten power, yeah, SEC and, power, Notre Dame. Yeah, exactly. And, I'm, and what's curious is that my first thought when you said USC, my first thought was, well, probably Texas, but then that does equal SEC <laughs> in the future. Yeah, in, no, in a I think of Texas – I forgot about Texas. I mean, I think Texas would. I it's, think it's they're easy own, to they're easy to forget. Yeah, about. I know. Unfortunately, it's. Uh, I think it's <laughs> Texas is its own animal. Even when it's in the SEC, it's geographically yeah. separated enough. I mean, I know it's border borders to SEC states. Well, well between I mean, SEC it's, it's states in an it's in an SEC state. Yeah, true. Um, but like University of Te- like the population base is so great there and it's a national brand so okay let's say you didn't want usc you, you no, I, but i think you're i think you're right though pete carroll usc because yeah pete to, carroll usc was like, rockstar usc is right is lincoln riley going to be i think he will be rockstar usc but like a, a really good clay helton team maybe not they don't that that would that would not have the, the sex appeal nationally i think if you got and uh, again if we're getting teams all into the playoff we're assuming that they're all great at this point I think you're right. It's either Alabama or Georgia or Clemson. I think Clemson would, would fit in there, but I really think it's Bama. I think Bama or Georgia. Clemson has a huge, is a national brand, but it's just not in a huge, it's not in a state with a ton of. Right. And like Birmingham, Alabama's not huge, but Birmingham, as you know, is the highest college football TV yeah. rating, like even if Alabama and Auburn, Auburn aren't playing. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, USC, which I, which I think is the four that you said, would probably be my gut reaction to what if I was ESPN and we were sitting there picking teams to make the most money for ourselves. I feel like a, an elite version of those four teams with, with an Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame, USC matchup. And then two regions of the country playing in the championship game would make the most money. So I think if, if somebody comes at you and you're an SEC fan and says, oh, 
They're just propping people up, blah, 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 blah. Like, that is not ever what they want in the playoff. Now, that's just the playoff. Now, how about selling magazines at Athlon Sports, which I still work for and you used to work for? And we've talked about this before on other shows, which is, and this happened with Notre Dame, strangely. People just assumed that we would pick Notre Dame very highly or X, Y, or Z team really highly because we thought it would sell magazines. And we actually have, we actually had data that showed us it doesn't matter who we picked highly in the magazine. We were going to sell magazines based probably on what, how good your team was that year, right? Like what, what, and, how good the co- and, and, and what the cover looked like, you know, yeah. um, we always, we were always told basically, I was always told that, you know, the inside of the magazine is yours. The cover is mine, meaning like marketing, you know, like we, obviously I picked the, we picked the people who are going to be on it and we actually picked the photos, but the circulation department would give us, and I would work with the circulation department on who's on covers and stuff. So yeah, it, it never once in my, 18 years at Athlon, did we, I say, let's go with Alabama over this team because we think it'll sell more magazines. Um, it just, we, we want our, our, our egos were, were too big trying to get the, <laughs> trying to get the predictions right. Um, no, seriously. Yeah. It just, it just never came across. Now, one thing that, that we were always trying to reach new markets. So, um, you know, we would never like we wouldn't pick a team like Ole Miss number one to sell magazines, but we might do a really cool. We might spend more money on a photo shoot with Ole Miss to sell more to 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 right to speak to those fans. Like, hey, we care about your team. You know, these other magazines, they're not even going to have an Ole Miss guy. They're going to have an Ole Miss guy with four other guys. The Alabama guy is going to be huge and it's going to be real small. Eli Manning. We're going to go. We're going to send a photographer out there and we're going to spend the money and have a really sweet Ole Miss only cover. And we're going to have a Mississippi State only cover. So we tried to kind of like speak to the fan bases and say, Hey, we see you, we care about you, please buy our magazine. But it didn't affect, didn't affect any editorial decisions. We try, in fact, we tried to spread the wealth as far as features, like the way our magazine worked, we had, you know, six pages on every team and we had room for about four to five sec features. Like, Hey, we've done, we've done an Alabama feature three, three years in a row or three of the last four years. Let's be sure we hit Mississippi state. If there's an interesting story there. So we we definitely tried to spread the wealth. Well, and I I would argue the, the way that Mississippi state, would make a magazine company like Athlon money would be having a marketable star like Dak Prescott and being very good. That that would make us more money than like actually being good going into the year and actually having a good football team would make more money than us picking them a certain place or whatever. Like that, that would not have any impact on it. Like you said, the cover and how good you are is, is far more, you know, we would invest in catering to the teams that were good to those, but only like, because we already catered to all the other big teams anyway. <laughs> like we already had yeah. Penn, Penn State covers and Notre Dame covers and Ohio State covers and Texas covers. And it's it's only when like West Virginia had Pat White and Steve Slayton did we go, oh, you know what? We need to give that that cover some love because we know we're going to sell a bunch of magazines in West Virginia. It doesn't it doesn't affect where they were, whether or not we pick West Virginia picked. sixth or right. 11th in the preseason that year would have no impact on sales. What made that magazine sell so well is we had a really sweet cover with Slayton and White that spoke to the people of West Virginia. Fringe Element is brought to you, Aaron Dugan, by... Jasper's your ultimate NCAA tournament hub of (laughs) things. For severe SEC disappointment, come to Jasper's. That's what the doctor. That's what a doctor recommends to uh, five out of six NCAA basketball fans. Tough, tough weekend for me. Br- well, and you. The whole conference. 
The whole conference. Everyone. Arkansas, Everyone is sad. Arkansas, Kentucky loses to a 15. Tennessee loses to an 11. Auburn loses to a 10. Alabama and LSU lose to 11s. <laughs> it, it, was, it was bad. Arkansas is the only good team. You know what is amazing? Jasper's new game room. New okay, game. I have so, not been. You've been telling me about it a little yep, bit, but I wanted yep. you to save it for this so you can give me <laughs> as enthusiastic of a breakdown as possible. So, like, obviously the parking is free, which is spectacular. The menu is amazing. I love the new flatbreads. I love the new barbecue sandwich. Um, it was great. So I went with a couple other 440 folks out there. Steve Cavendish of Lamestream Sports, Zach Lyons of the Football and Other Efforts podcast. Thanks we, for the invite. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, well, okay. you were, you're not exactly a fan of the particular team we went to watch, so it didn't uh, – actually, it didn't occur to me. So I apologize, Aaron. <laughs> That's not, no, it's fine. You're just like, oh, the whole 440s crew I'm like it's fine everything's okay no i didn't i didn't invite the duke fan from 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 the gold standard <laughs> well you get it duke people duke people you know eh, you know um that's adam bingen by the way who you have you used to have beef with now the beef is gone it's on the sandwiches at jasper's but anyway gone but the game room has been completely flipped it is tremendous you get all the great stuff but now they have papa shot which i Ooh. won which i won Against uh, who? Uh, against um, other folks. Hmm. Ski ball, which I did not win. Yep. Which is still one of the most amazing games of my childhood. I love ski ball. They've got the I'm shuffleboard. Big. They've got the giant connect four. Uh, they've got a big, huge, brand new air hockey table, which is just one of the more intense arcade games you could ever possibly play. If it's called an arcade game, a, a, a game room game. They've got the whole Pac-Man, like six person game. That's fr- All of this is free, by the way. Oh, they I really mean, set their game up. Everything is free. So it's not just Pac-Man. It's like Space Invaders, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, like all six six games in one. And then they have Tabletop Jenga, which I normally do not get into. It's not normally my thing. But mm-hmm. we, got in, we got into such an intense, insanely like stressful Tabletop Jenga game that was like 35 rows tall with like a bunch of single blocks holding it together. Um, and I had to try it. Seriously, Aaron, we got the, the Jenga Tower got so tall that I had to do the tablecloth move where you try to pull a block out so fast that the whole tower just falls right down on itself, but doesn't tip over. It didn't work. I lost. Oh, it tipped. Oh, you, I was going to ask that for some reason, I felt like you lost Jenga and you wanted it to just fall on top of itself because it was so tall that it could take somebody out on its way down. (laughs) No, 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 there was literally no other block. Oh, there was no other move. left. There was no other move left. We played Jenga to the end of Jenga. I've never heard of that, of that happening. And so it was, it's fun. Point That's how is, you're supposed to play. <laughs> right. Point is, there is no bad times at Jasper's. Every single thing that you can do in that, like we had beers, we had food, we had the big screen going, we had all the games you could play for free. It was a, it was an awesome Thursday afternoon in which my alma mater won. And then we got to the weekend, which everyone's alma mater lost. So, yeah, we had to watch my brother just watch Tennessee lose, just where he went and then watch, you know, I'm from Memphis. So the, that was a tough one too, because playing the number one, only being down by two at the very end, just like rip your heart out. That's why I'm sorry, Kentucky fans. I didn't feel that bad about the Peacocks. It was pretty fun to watch. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. We went to the zoo and my daughter's favorite animal was the Peacocks a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Y'all just pick winners, girls. Way to go. 
Sorry, is that picking on <laughs> is that picking on uh, Kentucky fans right now? Well, my brother, like my family, was like nonverbal for three days in two thousand eight mm. when we lost to Ken. Did we lose to Kentucky? No, no, you lost to Kansas and Mario Chalmers because Derrick Rose couldn't no. make a free throw. Oh, it was Kansas. It was Kansas. Derrick Rose couldn't make a Derrick Rose couldn't make a free throw. So well. He aced his ACT, nope. so just give him a break. <laughs> oh, wow. What a great <laughs> poll by you. Either way, we're both picking on John Calipari losing, which is a great <laughs> time for everyone. Just like going to Jasper's where the parking is free, the food is amazing, and now the game room has significantly been upgraded. It is spectacular. The puppy patio, as they're calling it now, you can bring the dog, sit on the patio. It is tremendous. The weather's getting nice. So go to Jasper's, okay? Does that sound good? Watch the rest of the tournament. And drown your sorrows with a nice, tall, cool, frosty one. How about that? Maybe I'll get invited. You want to be invited next weekend? No. I didn't think so. See you later. See, there you go. See, that's why we don't invite you. You're (laughs) you're not going to get a courtesy invite from us ever again, okay? Okay, fine. Whatever. All right. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's, everybody. So what... What then is the opposite? So, and and I'll speak to ESPN Radio real quickly because I want to move on to what the athletic does and what podcasts do, which is sort of the opposite of what the mainstream world has to do. We live in a for-profit media world. That's it. P- period. There's very few nonprofit media organizations. So, what what media big big media companies are governed by is sort of the the rules of operation and, and of engagement that are that drive traffic, clicks, eyeballs, ears, wh- whatever. And for me, I'll just speak from my experience on ESPN radio. If I were to sit down on Saturday morning with Joe Fortenbaugh and do, any, do a preview show for week, whatever, we knew going into that when we planned our show, it was going to be, all right, what are the biggest three or four games of the weekend? Probably involving an Ohio State team or a Michigan team this year in particular, probably involving an Alabama team, probably Georgia, and then maybe a couple of other big games that we thought were, were important. And really you can't go much deeper than that because the rules of radio, literally how you charge your advertisers money is you have to appeal to the broadest set of the audience. And you, so you, so you have to be talking about the biggest stories and the biggest games and the biggest teams almost all the time, or you're going to lose ratings and therefore lose revenue. So if I spent any time talking about Mississippi and Arkansas, if they weren't top 15 teams and the whole country cared about that game, which they should have. It was a great game, but they didn't. We would, in theory, lose ratings. And so ESPN Radio is governed, and, and Fox Sports and every other radio station, they are governed by rules of, of business. Whereas when we get into the podcast space, or in your case, The Athletic, what, what, I, what I'm really happy about, Mitch, and you, you had to sort of talk me off this ledge at one point during our, our working career on a podcast, which is that there is so much more out there that people want that are underserved by those big major media companies that have to do it a certain way to make money and keep their advertisers happy, that there is all of this growth and space for us to have conversations about the Missouri quarterback battle or the Vanderbilt way of doing things, hiring a general manager in the front office or, you know, what, whatever it may be, there are these other things are being so underserved that I think there is a lot of growth in places that are not Alabama and I think the athletic and, and podcasts in theory are two places that are trying to attract that audience and go after those fans. Yeah, I'll speak to the athletics, like our content in a minute, but like in our podcast with Aria, our recruiting podcast, we, we of course talk Alabama and we talked, spent a lot of time on Texas A&M. They signed the best class in the history of you know modern recruiting, but we, we spent 15 minutes on Arizona recruiting like 
three weeks ago, real deep dive. And Ari happened to go to Arizona, so it's not a great example. But okay, Iowa. I did a lot of research on this recruiting in the state of Iowa. Like, if you're a college football fan, we've. I think you'll find that interesting. Could could you squeeze that into a 12 minute radio segment? No, of course you could. No way. But we had a podcast. We have a podcast every week where we spend an hour on recruiting. So of course we're going to talk Texas A&M, Ohio State, Alabama, but we're also going to talk Arizona. We're going to talk. Iowa. We're going to talk. We spent time on Massachusetts, like the best year for recruiting in the state of Massachusetts, like ever this year. They got a two five or five star prospect and like five four stars. So like that, you're not going to talk about that on a radio show, but you have the freedom to talk about it on a podcast. And we think that real fans who listen to podcasts, if you listen to a podcast are all niche smart for a niche audience for most of them. If you listen to a recruiting podcast, we think you're going to find that interesting. If you're driving around on a Saturday morning, listen to ESPN radio, you're not going to find that interesting. But so as far as the content, you know, we we have a pretty big staff. We've got, I don't know, we have seven editors, and I should know this off the top of my head, maybe 30 writers. We've got a series, we've got a bunch of beat writers who cover teams specifically. Um, you know, maybe six in the SEC. But, you know, I don't know, you could look it up, you know, five in the Big Ten, three in the Pac-12. And then we've got national writers. And what we found, obviously, we, we have an Alabama writer, and, and Aaron Suttles does great work and caters to the Alabama fan. But uh, what we have is what we have found is too that the surveying writing about the entire country, there's an audience out there, there's underserved markets. So, when we have a national writer come in and do a story on, you know, we keep using Mississippi State or Ole Miss as an example, right on a, a, a team that we don't cover on a but beat, Missouri. Okay, Missouri, you know, we actually had a Missouri writer for a while, Peter Baugh. Now he covers the Colorado um avalanche I'm, I'm not a hockey guy they're still called the colorado avalanche right <laughs> yes, they are they're the best yeah. team in the league yeah <laughs> okay my, my my lack of hockey knowledge is just unbelievably astounding well, what's 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 ironic in this conversation is that the athletic has done brilliantly two things outside of the normal stuff which is they cover hockey extremely well they've got a great hockey group of yes. writers and epl soccer they're, they're heavily invested in EPL soccer. Neither one of those two would be considered mainstream sports in the United States. And, and also, I grew up in New Jersey, and I still don't know anything about hockey. Go Devils. Um, <laughs> so my point was that, that, that we find that we write a really good story on a team where we don't cover on a daily basis. It does well. It sells a lot of subscriptions. It, it, it gets a lot of reads because those fans, like, they appreciate it. They, they want to read about their team, and we think we do really good stuff. We have good writers, and we... We do deep dives and, and, and don't just like swoop in and, and talk to one person and write a 600 word story. So, sure, it, it's, it's kind of like what you talked about with the ESPN radio. We, you need to, the popular notes because those teams are good and they've got tons of fans. But that's one thing I like when I work with Ari on, you know, I'm Ari's recruiting uh, editor that I, I really try and do a lot of research and, and talk about programs all over the country because I, yeah. I, I know fans who don't get all the attention appreciate that stuff so you know we it's a completely different world that i live in now where at athlon we're trying to sell magazines and 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 so much we did was based on predictions and right right everything now it's just more on just delivering really good content not that we weren't doing good content at athlon it's just a different animal well and i think that's why hopefully when you listen to this show the reason we spent two weeks ago 17 minutes talking just missouri tigers football is because that market is a little underserved. And the, hopefully the reason you listen to this show is that, and why we're going to spend 12 minutes talking about Vanderbilt later on, is that if you're an SEC football fan and you like this show, hopefully we're giving you a whole lot of other things that sort of fulfill your SEC fandom because you probably know everything there is to know about your favorite team. 
I'm not going to teach Georgia fans about Georgia football. They probably know a whole lot about that, but I can teach them about Vanderbilt and what's going on with Clark Lee, because we're going to get an interesting guest on. Maybe, I don't know if he's that interesting and, and find out very you know, handsome, how he's building his roster and why does he have all these leadership books on the shelf and like all this other fun stuff. And I, and hopefully that, that it's, so I think the, the number one principle I want people to take away from is that mass media for-profit media. And I will, we'll just use ESPN and ESPN radio as a, as like the, the cutout here because everyone likes around the country wants to pick on them. But that is that when you do work for those channels or, or stations or, or shows, it's not about what you think is interesting as a host or a writer. It is about what you think the audience will find interesting. And what I think our job is on a show like this is to find out what we think is interesting about the subject that we all love and try to go really deep into that. And so it's, it's almost inverted. And I think you, frankly, when we were doing our podcast on for Athlon Sports cover two, check it out, shameless promotion, you and I were doing it. And Still I, doing that? I, I think... I, I, with Stephen Lassen. Never heard I, of uh, Friend of the pod. I, uh, one day I came in after doing local radio and I was like, we've got to, we got to start hitting the play the hits. And I was like rattling off all the radio lingo that was like, this is what the science of radio is all about. And you were like, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, I just felt that, like I said before, uh, uh, people who were listening to that podcast loved college football and hopefully they appreciated the depth of knowledge that we both had. Anyone can go and turn on for six minutes and tell you how great George is and how great Nick Saban is. But can they tell you why Kentucky's, you know, run the ball so well? It's because they've got, you know, they don't recruit at the same level, but they have three five-star or four-star linemen, offensive linemen, or they got to transfer. You know, I'm just making this up. And, and I think people appreciate when you can dive deeper and educate them. Like I listen for the most part, you know, I want to be entertained, but I listen to podcasts because I want to be educated, like something that I'm, I yeah. don't know everything about so i'll listen like i listen to a lot of nba podcasts because i like the nba i'm a huge brooklyn nets fan but i don't have time to watch a ton of games but i like i like the nba world so i want them to educate me and i'm not going to listen to it if all they do is talk about lebron and right, talk right, about right. whatever i want i want someone so there's a lot of choices out there i'm going to take right. the, listen to the ones where they they spread the wealth and they talk about every team so that that's kind of been my approach and i understand when you would Literally, when we would record that podcast, you would come from your job as a morning talk show host in Nashville, and then we'd do the podcast. So it's a different world for you. But um, I just be, I find it tiresome when it's the same. And, you know, I, some of the Nashville sports talk, you know, it's I, I'm not in my car anymore. I don't commute and stuff, but it's just like and I'm not a huge Titans fan. I, I root for the Titans, but like I can't listen to, yeah, you know, every time I get in the yeah. car, what are they going to do a quarterback? When everyone knows a quarterback's gonna be the same next year, but they still have to talk about it because that's what people, you know, that's yes. what. So and and this and and I don't want to spin this like we could go even deeper on this, which is that, you know, the 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 social media algorithms that are designed to crawl down your brain are driven by anxiety and conflict, and we could we could go down that rabbit hole real fast. And I don't I don't want to do that. I want to keep this sort of as like a kind of like are we are we holding ourselves accountable as SEC media and fans and what can we do better what does the rest of the country need to know about this and and I, I do think this is one area where we as SEC fans have to sort of take a pause and think about it and that is the contractual obligations which I think is a little lazy on the national landscape to say oh SEC is just always in bed in bed with the Big Ten I first of all the Big Ten or with ESPN 
the Big Ten is the first league ever that signed a major cable contract with ESPN because there were there's still more eyes and ears in the Midwest than everywhere else. ESPN is financially attached to the ACC, the Big 12. I think Herb Street and Fowler called as many Big Ten games this year as anybody else. But when the SEC sold their rights from CBS to ESPN, ESPN is now basically got every single SEC football game on their platform at some point. So what I think you're going to get is the committee's not ever going to be affected by what network the team is broadcast on. I would hope, right? Like I would hope that 13 people sitting in a room deciding on who goes to the playoff will never be impacted by what, who called yeah, the you game. Call, call, me, call me naive, but I, I agree 100% with you. So, so the, the argument on Twitter or with your buddies or talk radio that because one, one network or another network is in bed with a conference that somehow that's going to affect who gets into the playoff to me seems uh, maybe, uh, like you said, maybe I'm naive too, but that, that seems awfully idiotic. And if somebody on that panel is doing that, then that person needs to be removed. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to get extra coverage across the media platforms from sure. that entity. Look at the NHL going back to I was the NHL. Say, look at hockey. If you, if you watched sports center, you watched ESPN over the last 15 years, you've, Barely knew hockey existed until this year. <laughs> Shocking. <It> changed. <laughs> they got hockey, but that's that's their prerogative. It's you know, it's business. I, I think some, it's a business. It's a business. Some people, you know, some people also say they're journalists, and they are they 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 are there are journalists. They do great. A lot of them do great work, but they work for a company that has a bottom line, and they they need to sell. You know, they need to sell advertising, and they, they so they promote what is on their network and i've got no problem with that you just you you have to just kind of see them for what they are and you know it's it it's it just makes sense so it, it just means more Braden. So, well and that's that first of all it's such a difficult slogan because i don't like it but it it is one of the most brilliant and i don't want to use like a political campaign analogy here but like it is amongst the most accurate and most brilliant succinct you know, taglines that they, that anybody could have come up with. I don't like it. It makes my skin crawl when I hear it, but it's so accurate that when we do talk about the sec and I'm not done yet with the media side of this, cause I do want to get your thoughts on last week. We said on the show, there are five rules. We, we've put in five rules to staying classy. And that is sort of like no gunfights. Uh, the officials don't hate your team. Um, you know, we, we had some, we had some fun with don't blame kickers. Like don't tweet at recruits. Like we had some, but one of them was know your media. And the SEC is pretty guilty of this. Tennessee, Florida, LSU in particular have some really like water carrying media throngs. And so I think you do have to acknowledge as an SEC fan that when you watch a, a, you know, and I don't think game day does this per se, but if you're watching like fine bombs on ESPN, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I do think you have to acknowledge that SEC is going to cater to the SEC fan for a lot of reasons. But that it doesn't affect. But I think your counter argument to outside people was to say, but it doesn't affect who AP voters or who's in the. Like, do you think that's true, or do you think these people are swayable in the committee room or AP voters or whatever? I muted myself, Braden. It's okay. R- I've, I've, I've been trying to do it for years. It's I've fine. been trying to mute you for, for <laughs> years. Um, <laughs> now I, I think everyone has a, a bias. I don't care. Everyone's from somewhere, as they say. Yeah. Like. Is Bobby Johnson still on the committee? I think he is. So, like, Bobby Johnson played football at Clemson. He coached in the SEC. Like, he, he sees things through a certain lens. But I would trust that Bobby Johnson, when he's on that committee, 
is just votes how he thinks and everyone votes how they think. So like, I think it's naive to think that, that there are no biases there, but it's just, you've got to get past those biases, biases, whatever the word is there. And so like, does it affect, I I can't sit here and tell you that every AP voter is like the most objective person out there. Like people, people have, you know, like, I don't know. I know we're talking football here, but like, I'm sure certain people, certain people out there don't like Bruce Pearl. And, you know, if Auburn deserved to be ranked one at one point, did some people vote him fourth because they didn't like Bruce Pearl? Maybe. I, I don't know that. There's so many voters. The, the, in AP poll, there's enough voters out there to kind of overrun or overrule one or two bad apples, so to it, speak, there. So I, it, it I definitely I, affects I think, Hall of Fame voting. Don't you, th- don't yeah. you think? Yeah. Like, no, I, I think baseball Hall of Fame voting. Yeah. So I, I think. I've never really heard it said that way, but I think your, your rule number five is perfect. Know your media. Like when I'm on Twitter, I, I take, I have levels of salt, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I have levels (laughs) of salt with which I I take tweets and okay. That came from (laughs) this person. I'm not going to put it, give it as much credence as from this person. So So (laughs) you have to be educated to know who you're, to know who your media people are can we can we come up with like uh like the scale like fast food fries is like the most salty you could be versus like what would be the least salty you could be like take oh that one doesn't mean anything can you give yeah, me I don't know that, like i don't know yeah that's a good question but like i we we were busy out all day yesterday and we came home and i had uh frozen pizza for dinner because my son gabe was Ooh. out and about with friends classic and so i had a uh, a gluten-free frozen pizza uh, which you would love. And then like Heather, my wife said, she, so she read, she read, no, they're fine. Actually, they're no, fine. I know, I know. But so she, she read something last night or something. She's like, I just saw like frozen pizza is about the worst thing you can have. I was like, why? <laughs> she's like so much sodium. I was like, I don't really care about much sodium. I want, you know, she's like, well, you should. So I don't know what made me think. No, no, I make it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Like I make soup a lot for my daughters and for my oh, wife. Yeah. Love, Canned and, and soup. Like, yeah. Well, no, no, like actual like yeah. home cooked. Okay. Soup. Oh, yeah. No. Like, yeah. Okay. Start with onions and garlic. The problem is, and like, I don't put any salt in it. Oh, you got to have salt and soup. Well, my, and my wife's always like, "Well, why don't you put any salt in this?" And I and I go and I and then I pull up the can of beans, and it's like eighty-two percent of your daily sodium diet. And then I pull up the can of chili peppers, and it's like, oh, it's seventy-two percent of your sodium diet. You I'm just like, gave your daughters four hundred percent of your sodium. <laughs> like, look at all this salt that's yeah. in all of these cans of beans that I've just dumped into this chili or, or the, you know, white, you know, whatever it might be. So I, I, that's a good, that's a, I, I need to create, I'm going to think on this. Maybe next week we'll do a degrees of salt. Yeah. I need, I need to do, that's really good because there are certain media people. Very salty. It, like you have control over this too. Like I just stopped following. I, I don't mean to pick on Danny Cannell because I mean, he's a nice guy, but like uh, there, there's, I've never seen a person go out of his way to within the foot, college football realm to, actively poke a conference while propping up another and doing it so disingenuously that it just is like, and I'm not suggesting that there's not like, like I love Peter Burns, but I think Peter Burns can be a homer for the sec. Like, I think he is, it's fine, but he works for the sec network. Like that's a good example. I don't know. Job, what, like, I don't know what level of salt he is, but I take a lot of, you know, I think he says a lot of smart things, but I know, yeah, right. I know he has an agenda when he tweets, he believes it, but he's promoting the network that he works for. And that's fine by him. He gets paid to, to promote promote the network that he works yeah. for. <laughs> hey, what's your buddy Dar? What's your buddy Dari gonna do once Oklahoma joins I, the SEC? Oh, we talked couple. Church, he's always perfect. Church and separated of church and state. Oh, thanks for listening to the show. We had him on uh, a couple of weeks ago. I didn't listen. We a couple of weeks ago, and he he was. Very I started listening st- to podcasts to educate myself. Oh, 
you know what? Fuck you. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, go listen. Dari was that was the salt. And it's funny we were joking about salt. That was the spiciest I have ever heard Dari know. I will go listen to that. Was when Lincoln Riley left, and he oh. didn't, he did not pull any punches. It was very okay. very angry. No, he's like just perfect. He's like, oh, this is great. The conference I I cover and get paid to love and cover and is now my alma mater's joining, and he's like, it's wonderful. But I always thought he had the perfect balance though, where he could. He's he great. Was, yeah. He was a huge fan of his alma mater. That's fine. I get that. But it didn't affect his coverage at all because they weren't in the SEC. Now, I'm not going to think less of Dari in five years if he's, you know, Oklahoma, if he's reporting about Oklahoma. And it's, I know he loves Oklahoma. That's fine. I appreciate that. It's just it's just it's, it's funny that that that's happened. I think it goes back to know your media. Yes. And, and also that there is space in your day as a sports fan to sort of consume everything. If you want to argue about you know, Stetson Bennett versus JT Daniels for 12 months. There's plenty of places you can go argue and embrace debate and have like these sort of talk showy type of topics. If you want Homer radio and I'll, I'll give schools credit this because Aaron, who we talked about last week on the show, Aaron and I talked about this, like she worked for Vanderbilt and put out really great content when she's like shooting documentaries of Juwan Williams at the combine and stuff like schools have turned into production companies too. Sure. And there is clearly space for that in your sports menu but if a really controversial topic comes up, I don't want a homer of any team or any league to tell me the information. I want to try to get it as cleanly reported as possible. So I think what it means is you need to trust the pe- you need to find the people that are going to give it to you straight. And if you want to live in a safe space at all times and you can't handle any disagreement in your life, then you can go find media for you. Sure. That's not going to be this show. Like we're not going to do that on this show. And and hopefully enough people like that. I I don't. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Very, no, very fair. No, I, I think you make a good point about you, you can kind of I mean, can you cut everything out? No. But if you're a sportsman who just is on Twitter or, you know, listens to podcasts, you can you can not follow people. You can not yes. listen to that podcast. If your team mm-hmm. if your team blew it and had a bad loss and, you know, the, the host and the guest are going to rip them and you don't you don't want to hear it. Don't listen. The the the. um. <laughs> The unfollow button is actually quite easy to use. <laughs> you can just yeah. you can just click that button and then just not follow. You know, you know what person. I found too. This has nothing to do with anything. We're just talking about media. Media. I started I started to unfollow some people that I that I have no problem with, who just feel they need to tweet about everything. Like oh, I don't, you mean like crossing into the the stuff that you don't care about as much? Yeah, it was just everything. Like I don't need your opinion on every. <laughs> you don't need to be tweeting fifty times a day. Like so I'm no, I know. <laughs> So when I do a uh, like a you tweet, week- you tweet a lot, but you, you, you go in stretches like where I won't see something from you for a while. And I'm not using you as an example like I uh, you don't tweet you. too much. I'm just saying there's certain people out there that I just like I don't need to hear from you every every two minutes. If and I, like I, I'm I, on my I'm on Twitter a lot. And I tell myself I kind of have to be because of my job, like I'm the recruiting editor. I kind of I'm not like right, following right. kids, but I, I kind of need to know what's going on if something breaks. So I'm on social media a lot. I just don't follow people that feel the need to tweet every two seconds. So when I put out a list of my power rankings of leafy greens and I had like Boston lettuce at four, like above, like, you know, like spinach at five, that was not something that was meaningful to your life. No, but that was fine. Cause it was slightly creative. Like, like I don't need ro- romaine number every- romaine number one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's certain, uh, this is crossing over into Brighton territory, but there's some people who feel they need to be experts on everything. Yeah, so no, yeah. right, I'm going to get myself in trouble and kick, kick off the pot. for No, no, no. You're good. You're good. You're good. What's funny is here's the other thing. And this is to- again, a totally random observation. 
I don't understand the need. And maybe if you're a beat writer, you have to do this during the game. Are the updates? I don't understand the need to post every single play in a football game to your Twitter feed. I don't, I don't understand that. Like I'm watching the freaking game, dude. I, I get, no, I totally agree. Here's the only, because it's on and anyone can follow like on a score app or anything. Like the only time that I used to like that is back in the day before like the SEC network, if I was out and about and like Vanderbilt had a baseball game on a Saturday and like there wasn't an app like and I wanted to know what was going on if someone was like Adam Sparks was covering the game I wanted the updates but we're talking about a freaking college football game that's on CBS and everyone has an app like you don't need to know it's literally streaming it's streaming on your phone just switch from the Twitter app to the other app and you can watch the game you don't have to read the updates on Twitter here's one more Twitter complaint and then we'll move on all right we gotta go The, 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 the need to retweet like in in comment on huge national news like you kind of got to know your place on the twitter food chain <laughs> like if let's say oh, this is a georgia deep this is a deep, a this defensive... is a deep this is a deep one here yeah like georgia hires a new coach or defensive coordinator like i expect bruce feldman my colleague at the, like if he didn't break it or Stu mandel my boss at the athletic like people with huge followings in college football should be retweeting that with him if you've got if you're a college football writer and you've got 3000 followers, don't you think that every person who follows you is also following all these other national writers? You don't need to retweet and comment on it. You but disagree? if you're well, like, I don't want to see in my timeline 50 people retweeting the same news. Well, but I think this is what's a me problem because I follow so many college football people. That That's probably true. Also, you're in it, right? Like I'm in it, too. Yeah. I, I think it's it's interesting. Like, that's why I never I never retweet any national news. Like I'll tweet stuff. I have a lot of Vanderbilt followers because of my job as a sideline reporter and, you know, right. some people follow me for that. So if there's some interesting Vanderbilt news from someone out, a national person like Vanderbilt's hiring a new linebackers coach, I'll retweet that because I know there's people on my timeline specifically that are interested in that, but I don't pretend to say anyone on my timeline needs to know stuff that Bruce Feldman's breaking. Like, no, that's I, I think, I, well, no, I think what it is is what, what people should want if they follow you or me, let's say just using us as an example and stare at our navels for a second. Yeah. It is our opinions of that news that, that they want. That, that's that's the key like right but i'm not talking about that i'm talking about just like the retweets and like yeah you're cu- big you, news you've curated like, my, a- oh my <laughs> well it, it, listen we could go deep on this like why does everyone need to tweet like condolences when someone they never met has died like i don't under like that's about you dude <laughs> like that's yeah. about you but i don't when understand someone gets hurt in college football and you have nine thousand people you're like oh thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers i love because I, I love injuries yes i'm a huge huge <laughs> injury guy right the more here. acls the better <laughs> Huge injury guy. Yeah. All right, I want to get to Vanderbilt, but last one here, and this is a, a, another narrative that's out there about recruiting being like the only thing that matters. And I, I, I want to say to fans outside of the SEC, to people listening who are SEC fans, like, do you really believe, like you're a recruiting editor. I used to be a recruiting editor. We, we've lived in the recruiting space for a long time. I don't think anyone thinks that you just sign five stars and then just win championships. Like, I don't think, I think outside S- people that are not in the SEC think that we in the sec prop up these rankings like they are the end all be all when i think all we ever do with those is just say this is the starting point and if you're running a if you're running a 1000 meter race and i'm starting at 300 meters and you're starting at zero i'm ahead of you (laughs) and i'll be very succinct here you can't win national titles unless you're recruiting top five classes but just because you're recruiting top five classes doesn't mean you'll win national titles. Yeah, you, you, you almost stole my, my line there. But, but I, but I've used it, for a long time, which is every se- 
just because you have great players doesn't make you a great team, but every single great team starts with great players. Yeah, it's and Ari talks about this all the time because people get on him like our podcast is called Stars Matter because like they think that's all he says is that Stars <laughs> Matter and they do. But the great coaches are great evaluators. Look at Georgia. Who is right. their best player? Maybe Jordan Davis, three star, you know, Alabama. D'Amico Ryan's was a D'Amico Ryan's was a three star. Yeah, Josh Jacobs was a three star running back and they're just not hoarding five stars. For the most part, they're hoarding and t- taking the five stars that they feel are best for their program. And right. they're recruiting their, their four stars and their, their three stars. They're evaluating talent very well and they're coaching them up. So you need great players, but that does not mean you will win just because you have them. Which to me leads us into the narrative about the SEC is being carried by Alabama at the top. And while Alabama is in outer space, now you've got Georgia and A&M recruiting in outer space also. But, I, but the idea that Auburn and Tennessee and I guess maybe even South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas, Florida, I think under Billy Napier is going to do this. Like that next tier still recruits significantly higher than the vast majority of other conferences. And some of that's because the players are here and we can get into a million reasons why. But like it just means more and recruiting budgets. Well, and here, There's a million here, reasons. But, but do you buy that? the like this narrative that the sec is just propped up by the top. Cause I think that's what a lot of fans in other leagues cling to. Oh, it's just Alabama. They're carrying you. The rest of your no. league sucks. And I'm like, are you sure about that? Cause Kentucky, Kentucky's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, every league is going to have bad teams and, and you know, with something that hurts the sec is the coaching transitions. You know, you can have, you can have a school that has, you know, South, South Carolina's example, their roster was not very good this year. And I think it was a very soft give, give that staff credit Shane Beamer for going six and six in the regular season, but that was not a very good team this year. Um, and you look at the recruiting classes, they probably average, I got over right over my shoulder here. They, they probably average like a t- t- number 22 class in the country over the last five years. So they should have a better roster, but they've had coaching turnover and, and guys leave and stuff like that. So you can't just look back at recruiting classes, especially when the, the era of the transfer portal. So no, I don't buy the narrative that it's propped by the, by the SEC. It's they, they, by the top teams. There's, they are, it's by far the deepest league and um, you know, I just, the, the numbers, the numbers bear it out and they've got the best players in the league. And that's, it's just, it's undeniable. The, the, fa- the to me, the facts are the best players on the majority come from here. They are put into the NFL at a higher rate from here in the sec, meaning the Southeast. And they've also won a Southeastern footprint team has won like 21 of the last 24 national championships. And that now that I think all of that is sort of just like factual information. I think I do. I do think sec fans need to be self-aware and I agree with what you're saying that the, the fact that it quote unquote just means more and that we put more pressure as a conference on our coaches to succeed. Like look what Auburn's doing right now to Brian Harson. Like, I think that is cannibalistic to some degree. I think the sec eats itself because of the pressure to win because of all the, like giving Kurt Ferentz 18 years, and Paul Christ all that time and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern and Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Have, and this is what Mark Stoops is doing and, and Mitch Barnhart in Kentucky is doing better than everybody else, which is, and I think uh, we'll talk about Vanderbilt in a second, but I think this is what Vanderbilt should do with Jerry Stackhouse, which is just be patient and invest. And the SEC is not good at that. We have to be very self-aware of saying we're not good at patience and it hurts us a lot of times. Yeah. Well, can, can, 
credit Kentucky for being self-aware and knowing who it is and where it is on the food chain. And there were times when, you know, Mark Stoops, you, if he got fired, I mean, I don't know if his Wikipedia page in front of me, but you could say, yeah, I see why they're making a move, but they were smart enough to know that he was a very good coach and he was slowly building things. And I mean, the culture of Kentucky football is very different than the culture of Kentucky basketball and, and, <laughs> right, right. and credit Mitch Barnhart for, for recognizing that. So yeah, I, I think they are, they are the, you know, it's easy to sit here and say Wake Forest was patient with Dave Clawson and Vanderbilt was patient with Bobby Johnson, you know, 15 years ago, finally got through the bowl game. But the 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 climate and the culture at a state university is far different. Yeah. So uh, so that's, that's why I, that's what to your point, that's why Kentucky deserves that credit for for being patient. Now, how long? Let, let's just say Mark Stoops. Would they go this year? Ten, whatever they would. Let's yeah, say 10 wins. Let's say he goes eight and four for three straight years. You know, they give, give fans, say, a, give fans I, a taste of 10 know, wins. Or are they going to be happy with eight wins? You know, I know, I know what you're saying, but like yeah. eight and four is pretty damn good for Kentucky when that's like yeah. your downswing. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. That, yeah. Like I think South Carolina, Missouri, I think Tennessee, Auburn, I think a lot of fan bases in the SEC could benefit from just a little bit more patience. Uh, and that's an us problem because I think other leagues and other teams. I think Utah is an example of unbelievably great investment and patience and buy into a culture and an identity. I think that, you know, I think the teams that do that, that aren't Alabama and Ohio state will benefit from that. And I, I think it will happen. All right. So any other narratives you want to bust here about the sec? Did we, did we cover it all? I don't think we covered it all, but <laughs> I, uh, no, I think we, we, we covered a lot. Yeah. We, got, we, we covered got a lot. lot. There's a lot of things. SEC fans, we can do better. Quipping as obnoxious on Twitter Maybe give your coach a little bit more time. We mentioned all the classy things last week on the show that you should do. But by and large, I hope we gave you guys some some information and some data and some tools to maybe argue some of these anti-SEC points a little bit smarter and with some with some backup stuff. All right, quickly, let's talk a little Vanderbilt here if you're cool with that. Just sure. wh where is the approval rating for Clark Lee amongst Vanderbilt fans as he goes into year two? And, and, and what, a 21-game SEC losing streak? Not all yeah, of which is his doing. I don't know. I'm not just saying that because I really don't. But it sounds about right. Um, yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, the fact that he's an alum and loves being the head coach at Vanderbilt, you know, and you know, I think that helps him a lot. You know, the, the first season, I wouldn't call it a debacle by any stretch, but the team was far less competitive than I think most people envisioned. Now, I think what we did we realize is the talent level is extremely down, and I'm not saying this to to defend Clark Lee or anything. I looked this up and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but James Franklin inherited a program in 2011, I think had 11 of the 22 starters, or they had 11 guys who eventually played in the NFL. And they weren't just, they were all mostly upperclassmen contributors in those couple first two teams. So give that staff credit, James Franklin, Bob Shoup, John Donovan, they did a great job with them. But, I mean, you look at Vanderbilt last year, how many guys on that roster are going to play in the NFL? I mean, maybe some young guys. I don't know if I see yeah, any, yeah. you know. So, the talent level was clearly down. Uh, I mean, you, you, they got better. They got – they were – you know, these are just catchwords or cliches. They, they definitely competed all the way down to the end of the Tennessee game, falling down. I, what was it? Like, looked like it was going to be a 72 nothing game. And they, they they battled and, you know, got it to within 17 in the third quarter, you know, whatever. But – I, I think the buy-in from the players was, was pretty good. And I think I was going to bring this point up earlier, but I'll save it. The recruiting was very good. I mean, he finished, I think, the third, number 31 class, which is last in the SEC. It's one of the best Vanderbilt I, classes ever. But it would have been like third in the Pac-12, fourth in the ACC, right. fifth in the Big Ten. 
So, you know, I, I think he has a vision and I think that school will be incredibly patient with him. Um, you know, I, I think they, they've got a very interesting situation at quarterback this year. You know, uh, Ken Seals was, had a really good freshman year, regressed a little bit. Mike Wright came in and showed a lot of playmaking ability, but really not consistent enough throwing the ball. They brought their, one of their top recruits was AJ Swan, a kid they got, they flipped from Maryland, um, who was in the Under Armour All-American game. I, I don't think he's going to start as a true freshman, but when, when you know, you, you've been around long enough, when has Vanderbilt been, every time Vanderbilt's been good, it's because they've had a good quarterback. Kyle Shermer was very good. You know, Jay Cutler didn't break through and go to a bowl game, but they had really good offenses. So it's it's very difficult for Vanderbilt to be good without a very good quarterback, without a difference maker quarterback. So they need one of those guys to step up. You know, they lost two starters in the offensive line in the portal. That hurts. Um, you know, some coaching staff turnover, lost their defensive coordinator, Jesse Mentor, to um, – to, to Michigan there. So I, you know, how much better will they be this year? I can't sit here and say they're going to be a lot better other than the continuity of yeah. the second year of a regime. Do, do you think, and we had Barton on the show probably about this time last year, actually uh, Barton Simmons, former 24 yeah. seven guy. Who's the, the, I, I believe his title is general manager of football operations. I believe Just general manager, something yeah. like that. Yeah. First of all, do you think that, that, that his, that Clark Lee sort of like rebuild the program leadership style doing things very holistically behind the scenes with guys like Barton and other people that are approaching sort of roster development and, and, and uh, evaluation. Um, do, do you think that that's a, especially with the transfer portal and how you have to manage your roster now 24 hours a day, do you think that that is the the way other teams are going to go? Do you think it's been successful for him? Uh, what, what are your thoughts I, on the, the makeup of the? the yeah, I don't know team? how much you know. Barton has a fancy title and probably has a you know has a lot of quote unquote power because he's Clark's really good friend from childhood and been Clark like values <laughs> right, his opinion right. and like they're they, they're in lockstep together. I don't know how much the structure is really that different than other programs. I mean, again, like there's not many. There's other schools that have come up with that title general manager. I don't think he's the only one. It's just, you got to trust your process. And I think Barton Simmons is a really smart guy. I, you know, I thought he would do well and I think he is doing well. Um, you know, I just think they've got to be a little bit smarter and they've, you know, you, you, you they've got to have a little bit higher hit rate than other schools yeah. because they're, yeah. they're not recruiting, you know, by volume. They're looking for project, you know, I'm sure he tells you all the same thing. They're looking for projectable guys. Like they, you know, he'll talk about some of the athletic ability, like go watch this basketball clip of this safety we just signed. You know, look at his right. athleticism. Is he going to play as a freshman? Probably not. But by the time he's a junior, he'll be just as good as those juniors, as those safeties who were rated 200 spots higher than him. So I just think it's about evaluating and coaching them up. And that's something that, you know, Bobby Johnson was able to do later in his career as they got a lot more competitive and, and the James Franklin staff did. And, and you know, there was a little window there where, where Derek Mason was it, what, what has been shown at Vanderbilt. It's not impossible, which quite honestly, I graduated from Vanderbilt in 1993. I thought it was impossible. You know, I just <laughs> you, if you ever told me that Vanderbilt would win 18 games in a two year stretch like James Franklin did, would never, ever, ever, ever believed it. And, you know, is this program ever going to be? Here's something that Barton Simmons and Clark Lee don't subscribe to, which they shouldn't because there the coach and GM there but am I, I you know I think we can sit here and say will Vanderbilt ever be a consistent top tier team in the SEC no but there's no reason why they can't have those blips like we've seen over the past 10-15 years yeah no I agree but I think that also comes with a, a couple of other factors which is commitment investment and all this other stuff and so I want to package two questions sort of together into one here which is n number one do you think we 
have seen Vanderbilt turn some sort of financial corner with all the, the, you know, allowing donations to go directly to the athletic department and, and all the renovations that are coming and sort of the buy-in around what it's 100%. Now, so it's better than it's ever been in my, yeah. So, so you think a, a full turn of the corner that now sure. they are they have, they have a on... chancellor who cares. Okay. So follow-up to that is the thing we talked about with name, image, and likeness last week. And the thing that I've harped on every new rule in college football is always going to benefit the best team, like period number one. Sure. But I do think that there are spaces and spots in particular at schools with large fan bases that have major resources, Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina, I think are three. I think there's some other ones outside of the SEC that Nebraska, for example, Wisconsin, Iowa, that should be capitalizing on their leveraging their fan base to help lure recruits through name, image, and likeness. Vanderbilt doesn't have the fan base, but they do have some major dollar players. Do you think Vanderbilt can fall into that category of, we're going to leverage all of the money we have to acquire talent. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this falls in five years. Because, you know, when we're thinking name image, and, name, image, and likeness, you're thinking of local businesses and getting kids involved and promoting their brand. Well, what we've seen happen is it's more the NIL collectives. And if you haven't read about it, you can read about it elsewhere, but Stu Mandel and Dave yeah, Ubbin. We, talk, we talked about it for 20 okay, minutes. So, so your, your audience is educated. <laughs> we're basically what it's been is a, a non-sanctioned booster club raising money to to lure recruits, which is not what NIL is supposed to be and what the rules state they're not supposed to be. But right now there's no one to govern it. And that's what that's what's happening. So can Vanderbilt recruit can compete in that arena? No, I don't think so. Can they compete in other arenas being in Nashville, Tennessee and having some big boosters at prominent, you know, companies and all that. Sure. I'm sure they can do some things, but honestly, they're not right now. And, you know, Barton will tell you, he said in a few years, we hope to be doing this, but right now they're not recruiting kids who live in that space. They're, they're not recruiting a kid who's deciding whether or not to take $250,000 from Georgia or go to Vanderbilt and take why, nothing. Why, you know? why shouldn't, why shouldn't they be though? Cause well, they, I, no, that's what Barton says right now. They're not, they're not in that space. They, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not out recruiting Georgia, Alabama and Tennessee or schools that they're, they're in their, there are. So the, the numbers we've tossed around on the show and the numbers that are tossed around out there are, you know, if you want to recruit top 10 classes, you need to be in that 20 to $25 million range per year. And that then gets paid out over the course of a four year college career. Let's, let's even go down a way. Let's go down a tier from that. And let's just say 10 million per year. There are three boosters, a couple of which you and I know personally, that they could write that kind of check every single year without even like noticing it's a rounding error in their bank account. Why would they not spin up the collective as fast as possible to get that thing working so that they can elevate and that's, go after a different player? Sure. That's a good point. Um, I think, and I'm not speaking for anyone. I think Barton would tell you that you're kind of getting someone for the wrong reason. You know, if you're if you're yeah, if you're you buying him for three hundred thousand dollars to come to Vanderbilt when he would have no interest in going to Vanderbilt for any other reason, it's probably not going to work out. Well, I'm this just, is I'm kind of I'm just kind of thinking this. No, no, no. And, and we talked about this last week on the show. But like what you're going to need is the person running the collective for your school and the head coach to have some sort of illegal communication about talent valuation. Like, oh, that's, that's I mean, that's, that's what no has doubt. Happen. That's what's happening. I mean, collective, whether it's Tennessee, Washington. Ohio, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not recruiting for your, they're not recruiting who they want. They're recruiting who you want. They're just being told, right. right. 
this yeah. is the defensive well, tackle that we need. Yep. yep. It's just, uh, all right. Expectations for Vanderbilt in 2022. What do you think? Uh, I think to, to establish a quarterback, whether it's Mike Wright, Ken Seals, or freshman AJ Swan, and to, I mean, this sounds so basic just to show some improvement. And it's like that, you know, the, I always say all three and eights or four and eights and three and nines aren't created equally. Did you lose six games by seven points or fewer? Or did you get right. your ass kicked and get blown out? So, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of coaching at Vanderbilt is that you don't, that's why people apply for the job and it's a desirable job because the school's patient. They're, he's not going to be measured on his record this year. He's going to be measured on what is he doing in years five, six, and seven. Now, right. it becomes easier in five, six, six, seven if you show a lot of improvement in year two. So I just think the expectation should be to be more competitive than they were in year one. That was our Vanderbilt State of the Union with uh, former um, editor of the Commodore Report, right? Did I get that right? I was a publisher. Publisher yeah, slash right. owner slash creator of the Commodore yeah. Report? I was a publisher, and my colleague Bill Trochi was the editor. Mitch Chief. Light. At Mitch Light on Twitter, of course, the recruiting editor now for The Athletic. He's got the podcast there, Stars Matter, with Ari Wasserman every Thursday. You can catch him everywhere. We hope we debunk some myths for you guys out there, gave you some tools to use in your arguments with your buddies about SEC football and the narratives and the media bias and all that great stuff. Maybe also, hopefully, we all learned some stuff and got a little smarter along the way. Make sure you go to Jasper's, everybody. Free parking, great food, excellent place to watch the game. You still got NCAA tournament games. You got National Predators games. You got all kinds of great stuff uh, over there. So, uh, obviously, Aaron will be back next week. We, we, we Everybody thinking about her. And, uh, Mitch, thank you for stepping in and, and having a thoughtful conversation with us. We appreciate it. Enjoy it. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. Get to me on Twitter, at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports, the YouTube page, all that great stuff. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network.